Over the next few weeks, we will be interviewing the authors from the collaborative book, The Grief Experience, Tools for Acceptance, Resilience, and Connection, which is set to release in February of 2024. These authors have each experienced their own unique grief journey and will be sharing their personal stories with us. We will also explore the specific tools they used to cope with their grief and how these tools can benefit others who may be going through similar experiences. Grief is a complex and challenging process, and each person's experience is different. By sharing our stories and tools, we hope to provide support, guidance, and comfort to those navigating their grief journey. Each author has experienced different types of loss and comes from a variety of backgrounds, beliefs, and experiences. As a result, they offer valuable insights and perspectives. We are honored to have them join us on this podcast series and to share their stories and tools with you, our Path 11 podcast listeners. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Path 11 Podcast. I am bringing you another author of the book that I'm also a part of called The Grief Experience. So we have been bringing you a few authors from this book for the past couple of weeks. And uh, we're probably going to do this for quite a few more weeks because we have a lot of authors who are contributing to this book. There's 25 of us. Each of us are bringing a specific tool, a story about our own grief, and how this tool can help people. So this is going to be an amazing book, I also think, for other clinicians. So we actually have uh, quite a bit of clinicians who are participating in this book. So if you are a clinician that is listening and you're looking for tools or kind of want a resource, this is going to be the book for you because you could just pull it off your shelf. You can take a look at um, the different tools that we have listed in the index, and then you can pull something out either for a group that you might want to run or doing something in your own individual practice. So I'm really excited to introduce you guys to new people and from all over the United States. So my guest today is actually from Colorado. So for the Colorado listeners, I'm giving you a great licensed professional here that you might want to reach out to if you're looking for some counseling. And her name is Rebecca Johnson. She is a licensed professional counselor passionate about helping at-risk children and families. And I have to say, we so desperately need people working with children and families because I know in New York, it's really hard to find therapists that have any openings to work with children. So we'll find out if it's the same in Colorado. But Rebecca has over 14 years of experience in child welfare and has supported families through a range of issues, including grief and trauma. She now runs a small, private, part-time practice in Broomfield, Colorado, providing therapeutic support to individuals who have experienced trauma and life transitions. Rebecca's personal experiences with grief and loss inform and guide her work creating a safe and empathetic space for her clients to heal and grow. So we're going to learn a little bit more about Rebecca. So hi, Rebecca. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 
So you are in Broomfield, Colorado. What is that closest to? What's the closest city? Denver? Okay. Yeah. I was out there. Oh my God. It was probably more like five, six years ago. And it was beautiful. And I went to six different places in Colorado. Denver was one of them. I went to Red Rocks because I had to see a concert out there. I went to Breckenridge, which is like really high in elevation. Yeah. I had a hard time breathing out there. Oh my gosh. Colorado Springs I went to. So I tried to go to as many places. So it was beautiful. And I went in the fall with all the aspen leaves. And yeah, it was beautiful. Yes. Yeah, so, so Brimfell is, when people are listening, around Denver, just north of Denver, north, west, close to Boulder, Louisville, Lafayette, Westminster. So any of those ring a bell. Okay. More close to that. Great. And have you lived in Colorado your whole life? Well, yeah. I have. I was born in Pueblo and uh, lived there and lived in Grand Junction, which is west of Colorado, west side of Colorado. And I went to my undergrad in Greeley, Colorado at University of Northern Colorado. So I popped around all over Colorado. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful state. Mm -hmm. So it says here that you have a small part-time practice. So are you also working full-time and do you do any other work for any other agencies? So I currently am just having a small part-time practice. Most of my focus right now is my family. And I, during COVID, all of that exasperated everything. And I went ahead and left the agency just to be present for my family at that time with two small kids. So I left and I just created this part-time business and really just figuring out where I'm going to (laughs) go, spending this time seeing where this takes me. And, but currently I, my passion is really trying to provide treatment to those that's hard to access treatment. I do take insurance through a platform called Thondermine and I am on Medicaid and I currently contract with my old agency with Children Family Services with one of the counties. I want to do some contract work with them. Great. So what specific things do you work with the at-risk children and families? What's a typical at-risk child that you're working with? What's going on and what's your specialty there? I think with children, and right now I have more adults, I'm open to meeting with children too. And with the agency, I am involved working with families that are involved with social services, child welfare. And that's just an array of things. But really primarily my focus is trauma and providing um EMDR. That's my focus right now. Um, my background in history is um, with child welfare. We did a lot of different things. I was on the treatment team. And so providing therapeutic visits for children and um, young children below the age of three with one visits where just there is a lot of stuff going on and just tra- providing that therapeutic support with parents and children. We did family therapy. We did groups parenting, education, home-based work. Um, So I'm trying to bring some of that into my private practice and with a lens of safety and child protection and just grief. As I started this, thinking about doing this book and thinking about my professional component and just how much grief we 
had to sit with throughout the years with these feelings and not just a loss of a child um, at uh, death, but just how much loss is within that system and sitting with parents surrounding that. But working with children on trauma, um, adoption, placement, preservation, supporting just any family within the system that needs that support. Um, and I'm also working with some adults just around just life transitions and lots of anxiety right now. There's a lot of people experiencing that after COVID and just recovering themselves. So I'm still trying to figure out my pathway. <laughs> and, but really my focus right now is providing some EMDR to families that can't access the other ways because it's EMDR is difficult to access if you don't have if you're if if you need to use insurance or right yeah and I know some of my listeners have heard me talk about EMDR EMDR my personal experiences and how it's helped me Um, but for those who might be listening for the first time can you tell people what EMDR stands for and uh, what this tool is and how it could help people. Yeah, so EMDR is high movement desensitization and reprocessing. And really it's, in my mind, I look at it as a whole body experience. Just being able to, through bilateral stimulation, to really process the whole information. Because as we take in information, it stems from the theory of information, adaptive information processing. And as we take in information, it gets stored in many different areas of our body, not just our thoughts. And so being able to access that with bilateral stimulation, meaning tapping both sides of your body on, in different ways, um, allowing your body to process that fully. Great. And you mentioned something um, earlier, too, about working with some of the families that you're working with in this system. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a death in where they're feeling grief and loss. And I'm sure with some of the cases that you've worked with, that some children may have been removed from their biological family home for safety reasons or put into foster care and their biological parents really feeling that and missing their kids and experiencing that loss and then trying to get their lives better. So it's like grief can take many forms, which is what we're also trying to show people in this book that we're all collaborating on. Right. Yeah. So what has been your personal journey with grief as well? And how did you find out about this book experience and what made you decide, yeah, okay, I'm going to write a chapter in this? <laughs> I'm still questioning that. No, um, <laughs> no, it's one of those for me, just I'm just trying to challenge myself and see where this takes me, but really not sure how it came about, but I just Somehow connected to a Facebook group on or group on Facebook. And then Kelly Doherty, that is leading this book, posted this opportunity. And for some reason, I just explored it and I looked at it and then thought about it and questioned it and was like, what do I have to offer? And did that exploration I talked with Kelly? That's one of those things. It's like, I don't even know if I would be. Like, would my information, would my experience, is that going to be valid for this book? Or And during that time, I had a couple things come up that 
kind of just reminded me, yeah, maybe you should just lean into this a little bit and follow it. I had, um, I hurt my butt and I had to have surgery and feeling vulnerable in that kind of brought back some triggers. And those triggers are related to a death I witnessed of my friends back in 2002. It was he, that friend was killed by a car in a traumatic incident. And throughout the years, that just, it just wears its head at different times. And different things are coming up this past couple months related to that friend and this book and what do I have to offer? And so I just tried to lean into that and see what I can share. And I finally just chose to sign up for it. And I think as a professional thinking and personally thinking, not everybody wants to go to the and but they want some tools and some people are really connected to bibliotherapy or just, or a podcast. And if I can share some tools, that'll help somebody in one moment of their journey, then I was, I'd like to explore that. Yeah, that, that's such a great point. Like therapy isn't for everyone and not everyone needs to go into therapy if they're grieving. People can still do work and have great community support or read books or listen to podcasts, like you said, and, and still be fine and do okay and work through their grief journey in other ways. So witnessing your friend get, did you witness this car accident? Of So you watched this happen? Yeah. Yeah. I so was that, driving and then he was, he had gotten out of the car and was hit by another car so yeah it happened like right in front of my car so yeah and then all the all everything that happened after that and i think that was my first i had experienced maybe a few deaths in my life i was grateful and thankful for that a grandparents and another friend but this was my biggest start out of being exposed to grief and then the traumatic grief related to that and in my chapter but it talks about that and just my journey through that experience and then on top of that just ongoing a spiral amount of deaths that I experienced through the next years and years later and how that brought up always went back to this traumatic experience I experienced and then all the different tools so I talk about EMDR and how that really was the turning point for me and when I was guided to to seek treatment so when I first after I first experienced it I was young and cocky and it was I was you know about 20 I just, that previous year, I had just gotten my undergrad in psychology. So I was like, here I am. I know psychology. I know how to deal with this stuff. I I don't need help. I don't need support. That night, the obvious, they always offer to talk to the victim's club person. I got this. I'm here for my friends. I don't need anything. I just shut down individually, but just try to be there for friends and have this just thought that I could handle it on my own. And I think I had these underlying sense of responsibility for that, of that accident. And then which connected to just my, my under, my sense of responsibility overall that just came from 
past experiences. So I hold this level of responsibility for years after that experience and just talking about how that impacted my life and my direction. Um, and I think in, in talking about this, my biggest thing is connection, how trauma and grief need connection, not just from people and, and others, but also individually. So connecting myself, connecting with myself individually and connecting with others. Cause I, I found like, I think I lost that. I just set that aside. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you definitely bring a lot of experience with grief. And also, like you said, going into that mode of taking care of others first. And I, I think a lot of people do that. And cl clearly here you are a therapist. So that's sometimes our natural go-to, right? Oh, we're good. We're good. Got this. Let me make sure you're okay first. That can be the tendency. And then, so how did you know when it was time for you to begin working on the trauma and uh, maybe starting the EMDR therapy? Like what was that pivotal moment where you're like, okay, I now I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Actually, and just to go back where when it comes to how EMDR is so effective compared to just talk therapy, I I just I didn't ever seek out treatment afterwards. But it was I I ended up moving to Chicago a few years later in 2004 to get my graduate degree in counseling. So I went to the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, and um, it was the first year and. Uh, second it was the second year we were doing our practicum that's right we were doing our practicum and um i was in uh providing counseling in the school in one of the schools in south of chicago and working with a young child that had experienced an attack in a car and I think they were assaulted. You had to do these presentations and bring it into your group. And I remember presenting on this child and our group supervisor, practicum supervisor was like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you pushing her? Why aren't you, what's keeping you back? And I realized how much my trauma was like keeping me protecting me and impacting my ability to push her into that helping her heal. Um, and I just remember her asking that question and I fell apart. I fell apart. I was so embarrassed. I was in front of my group of cohorts of, in that practicum. And at that moment, I realized I needed some support. And so I went into therapy and it wasn't, it just talk therapy and it was helpful. And, you know, it helps me talk about it and get it out and connect things just even to my own personal life and childhood. Um, and so that was really helpful throughout the years. And I can, I think it helps me with in my practicum and my work with kids. I think I, I did that for about seven or eight months until I, and then after um, school, I came back to um, Colorado. And that's when I went into um, child welfare and I got the job as an intake worker and then 
did my hours to get licensed and then went on the treatment team. And during that time, intake and just to elaborate, intake meaning I was responsible for um, investigating the referrals that came in. So you go out and you investigate what the concerns are and meet with the families. So that was really difficult. <laughs> and at that point, I didn't realize how I always knew the trauma and always, I was always triggered by it at different points in my life, whether you hear a song or you see somebody going too fast down a, a street. That came up a lot for me. And I just ignored it. I didn't ignore it. It really bothered me and it would send me in a spin. Like I was, yeah, I describe it as I was like punched back to that moment of, and that flashback and re-experiencing that traumatic event all over. And it was like, you have to pull yourself out of this hole and go through all the emotions, all the experiences that you had afterwards and pull yourself out of that. And th- that happened throughout the years. But in 2000, Eight, no, six, sorry, is when I started my work there. And that job is when it really got bad. Um, I was seeing things, um, the different referrals that just reminded me of that trauma. And it was constantly impacting me to the point where there was sometimes I couldn't meet with the children because I was struggling. I remember having to go meet with a child at a hospital. And I was like, I can't do this. The child's screaming. I shouldn't have to do this. She needs to just, they need to focus on their healing. So I just, it just continued to impact me. And I think, oh, I hear a lot of clients say, we're family, friends saying, I know what's going on. I know this is grief. I know I can think about it and I can help my mind change my thoughts. But my body is reacting. My body is responding and I'm really struggling with that. And that was what was hard. I I went to therapy and I talked about it, but my physical responses is what was unmanageable and out of control. And so when I got on the treatment team, I, I experienced another time where things were, there was a lot of stress. And I had a colleague who was going through uh, a really significant battle of cancer and, and then a client that brought up some issues around death and responsibility. And I kind of set it back in a spin. And it was a, another coworker who said, have you ever tried EMDR? And I was like, no, what's that? Cause I was like, I am a mess. I don't know how to, I've talked about it, all of this, but I don't know how to get these physical responses to lower the, the intensity of them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I found an EMDR therapist and that was my start on my journey. So long-winded. No, great. No, great story. And thank you so much for talking about the mind-body connection. I had said that to another uh, woman that I was working with. I was like, I've intellectualized this trauma really well. I get it. I understand it. I've done my own therapy on it. I've read as many books as you can about it. But it was like really an aha moment to say, wow, but now I have to clean up the body because it really does set in there and we can clear the mind up all that we want, but the body can also remind us of the trauma and then we're back into the mind again. So there really is such a connection with the two. And I think the other thing 
to that you've kind of been, which I think can be helpful for people who have gone through either a similar experience or have had a trauma attached to their grief, is that like you shared just, what was it, a couple of years ago that you had surgery on your foot, right? It was just actually two just, months ago. Oh, two months ago. Two when months we ago. Were, this idea of having, doing this book was an option. Right. So it's like, I've had a lot of my clients and people say, okay, when am I going to be done grieving? Okay, how long is this going to take? Or when will I get, will this stop? Will I get through it? And and I know that you could speak to the same thing. It's like here, this was an event that happened many years ago for you. Two months ago, you're having an experience and there is a trigger that comes back. I really do feel that you're bringing up a good point. And it's really you know easy to see that when we go through these things in life, it's not packaged pretty and nice and put away. And okay, now that you've had the MDR, oh, she's healed or you're never going to have to deal with it again. No, it, po- it pops up. It'll probably continue to pop up, but just in different ways and in different layers. So would you agree yeah. with that? Absolutely. And I think it shocks you because you, sometimes you just never know when it's going to come up. And there's times where your response, your physical or my res- physical response was like, oh, I'm doing okay. This person brought up this very traumatic event that happened within the family and I'm not having this big reaction. I remember, and it, there were several things. And I think it was during January and my husband was like, are you okay? And that was really helpful. I remember that moment when that's when I talk about connection is he knows this experience I had and sometimes he forgets, sometimes he doesn't. But in that moment, he remembered and he was like, hey, are, we just talked about this. How are you doing? And I was like, I'm actually okay. But just for him to acknowledge that was huge for me. And it, it, and that's why I talk about that connection of we need connection from our, ourselves that individually and internally. And we also need people to remember these things sometimes. Not every moment of the day, but like... I'm just checking in with you because I had two other experiences where I think later that week where I was not okay, but he had opened up the door. And so I talked about it. I had a couple other experiences later that week where I was worried that someone was going to get hit by the car. And I, you've done the work and you've had that trauma and I I did EMDR and I really, it's really allowed my it really set me free a little bit. I wasn't, it wasn't like, like I talked about being punched back to that moment and you're re-experiencing it and digging yourself out. It allows you to be more present. So although I experienced that, another trigger, it was, but I was still present in the moment. So it's amazing how crazy you might get at like your kid's school and the hug and go lane. But I saw, I almost saw, I thought I, a kid was going to get hit by a car. And you just turn into a spin and then like your mind's jumbled and your thoughts go somewhere. And then the rest of that morning, I was a mess. I I went to get coffee and then I forgot to pick up my coffee through the drive-thru and I had to go around and go in the place. And they're like, what's going on? And then you just needed to take a moment to reset. And I think that's what I've learned about grief or trauma is where can you connect? Where do you build the tools and it's what like EMDR was one tool for me. And that is something you go to therapy for. But within therapy, you also in EMDR, you also learn resources. What are the resources you can use 
when you're having moments like that, like your therapist isn't always there. Yeah. Like maybe you can call and set up an, an emergency one, but it's also building your capacity to take care of it, to respond yourself. And so I think over the years, when I talk about being punched back into that pool, I, I think about what are, when you think about rock climbing and you think about different handles you have, I don't know if this is making sense, but handles you have to, tools you have to get out of that pool. And over the years, I've, I've built different tools to help me reset and process through those moments. So EMDR was one of them. Connection is a huge one for me because I've throughout the years, not only with my friend, but many other friends have died and other family members and the loss of my brother. So it all just is complex and cumulative. And I think throughout the years, I've learned different tools that I can utilize in different moments. And so I always talk with clients about my tool belts and what are the different tools that you can use. And sometimes we have to be creative because like when you're at work and you have a trigger come up, you can't always go for a walk. You can't always have a session. So how can you get through those moments? Um, and I also have, went through EMDR, I learned the tool, the butterfly hug. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. I am. Yep. And if so, you'd like to talk a little bit about that, go for it. Yeah. yeah. And so that that was the big one that I kind of use what I need out. And it's, um, it's a way to use bilateral stimulation yourself. And it's it was developed by Lucina Artigas, along with Ignacio Herrero, um, who are very passionate about EMDR and trauma, and have done a great deal of field work in third world countries. And but she designed this butterfly hug to help with big groups of children and and adults use it too. But when they go over there and provide this support, it's you know, you can't do just one-on-one with everyone. So it was designed to really, how can they help a big group of people? Do you want me to? Yeah. So it, it's a simple thing of you, you take your hands and you cross them over and interlock them and form like a butterfly. And then you put them on your chest. And there's different thoughts in the EMDR community about how to use butterfly hug. Do you go fast? Do you go slow? And I think for me personally, if I can just share personally how I use it and encourage people is when I'm having big feelings and I don't have a lot of other tools, I'm sitting in my car or at my desk or whatnot, and I just tap back and forth and I just, I'm just noticing how I'm feeling and just trying to release those emotions and trying to reset myself. So just tapping back and forth and closing my eyes or leaving them open, whatever you feel comfortable with. And just then allowing your body to process whatever's going on and get it moving. And for me, that provides a sense of calm. And with your hands over your chest, you're giving yourself a little hug. In the book, I'm just talking about the butterfly hug and how I that has been helpful for me. And I, I experienced a lot of grief after I left the county, child welfare. I know it was a choice that I had. I, I 
chose Sully, but also I think COVID exasperated and sped it up. So I, it all came flooding. And I remember you utilizing that in moments where I was like, just having a lot of feelings right now. And you get that chaotic feeling like the Tasmanian devil when you're like spinning. And it just allows you to ground you to that moment and take a moment for yourself. Great. Thank you for sharing that. And for those of you who are listening and not watching the video, if you've ever made, um, I guess they're called shadow puppets. Is that what they're called? When you're putting your fingers together and you're trying to make, you know, your fingers look like an animal, that is the way that you would crisscross. I can't do it right now. I'm like looking at the video, crisscross your thumbs and to be able to put them on your chest. And then you're just tapping the right hand near the shoulder area over the heart and the right hand, then the left hand, then the right hand, then the left hand. And I had another friend of mine who she would use the butterfly hug where it was more like literally hugging herself. So her hands would be more on her bicep, tricep area and she would tap, but like tap loudly and somewhat slowly too. So really the point of that too is getting the brain to process that there's a touch going on the right side of your body, a touch going on the left side of the body. And that's what we call and use that fancy word bilateral stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also it gives you a level of connection to yourself in the present moment. Sure. And I also myself have used and encourage people because some people are like, well, I can't do that. They have a meeting or a talking so I can just sit there and tap them. And so tap your feet, tap your legs. Um, sometimes when people are public speaking and that, that anxiety comes up, use your hands and tap your fingers. I think it just is a way to connect with yourself and your present rather than your mind and thoughts spinning out of control. Absolutely. Yeah. Rebecca, thank you so much. And thank you so much for sharing your personal story with us. And it sounds like you have a lot more too, but fortunate, unfortunate. But I think we, as human beings, these stories are so important because we can heal through other people's stories and feel that connection. It's, I'm sure that there are going to be people listening to your story and they're going to be like, I totally get it. I get what she's talking about. And or if they're having that experience and feel really alone and they're able to hear things that are similar to what they're experiencing, like some, some of those flashbacks or the fears or the worries, it finally makes us not feel alone. It's okay. Okay, other people are experiencing this too. So I really appreciate your vulnerability and uh, your willingness to uh, write about this and be a part of this book. And I feel honored to be an author with you in this collaboration. And do you have a website or if people are listening in Colorado around your area and they wanted to uh, maybe come to work with you, how would people get a hold of you? I don't have a website right now. Like I said, I'm a little snob, but I think my email, just emailing me, rljohnsonlpc. So with that, it's r-l-j-o-h-n-s-o-n-l-p-c at gmail.com. It's where to start. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes in case people might have a question or would like to reach out to you. And so thank you again so much. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And the book that is going to be released uh, that we are writing is called The Grief Experience, and it's going to be released in February of 2024. Uh, We will be having a pre-order link that will also be in the show notes if you would like to pre-order this and uh, spread the word. That's the best thing that you can do for us. So we'd like to get this book 
into as many hands, not just clinicians, but other people who have, are experiencing grief in the moment, maybe have experienced grief and loss 25 years ago, and they're looking for some new tools. And for also people who have never experienced grief, I want to make sure that they have something on their bookshelf that they could give to a friend or a family member more immediately. We really appreciate your support in buying that book, reviewing it for us once it gets into your hands on Amazon. And next week, I'm going to bring you another person for you to learn about. And we're going to keep talking about grief here on the Path Love and Podcast for the next few weeks. So take care, everyone. And I hope you have a beautiful day. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com. And be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.